The following is a KPV Media Works production. Choose your fighter. Welcome to another episode of KPB Cast, guys. Uh, with me today, we have uh, Retro Station for talking a little bit of a fun subject that I've always wanted to explore within this community. Retro, thank you very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. How are you? Yeah, I know. I'm doing pretty good, man. And like you said earlier, you know, this is Ronnie's fault. This is why he hasn't been on the show until now. Blame Ronnie, not me. <laughs> Finally, my time has come. Uh, before we go on, guys, remember the podcast is available at iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts. Um, you know, video goodness will be coming to you through Twitch TV, and then it's going to follow up on YouTube. But anyway, let's get this going. Something I've always wanted to talk about with the community, well, and the gaming community in general, but obviously we're FGC. It's a. Uh, Japanese culture, how much of a hold it has on a lot of people within the community. Again, on the gaming community, but we're just going to stick to our little corner. And again, I had talked to Mike. I, you know, I, I had asked Mike who would have been the perfect person to do this, and your name came up, and I'm glad you came. You know, you're able to sit down with us, and we're going to talk about this subject. But from from your recollection, you've been doing gaming for quite a while, correct? Uh, yeah, I've been doing gaming about. 90% of my life. I started gaming when I was like five or six years old. <laughs> five or six years old. But you know yeah. what? Before we get into the subject, I mean, what is the earliest? What is, is six years old basically your earliest uh, gaming recollection? Yes. And what was that? What does that consist of? Was it like, you know, playing uh, um, consoles with your brothers, sisters, family members, arcades? Yeah. Uh, it was mostly playing consoles with my brothers and sisters. I did not explore the arcade side of things until i was in high school um uh, my first my very first console was the sega genesis i remember my mom had gotten the bundle with the sega six pack so it came with sonic the hedgehog streets of rage columns golden axe Runge shinobi and super hang on a lot of games that are still near and dear to me almost 25 years later <laughs> <laughs> sega genesis what was your favorite game out of all those games or what's your favorite genre uh, my favorite genre, I am more of an action kind of guy. So character action games like Devil May Cry, uh, anything like action RPG-ish like uh, Fantasy Star Online 2 or Terra or anything of that nature. But as long as I'm not sitting there just, you know, taking turns with things like, you know, RPGs. I can play a couple of turn-based RPGs, but as long as I'm actively involved in what my character can do, then that's that's my kind of thing. What was your first ever experience with a competitive gaming uh, scene? Whether it be first, FGC, whether it be speedrunning, you know, you're, you're into the kart scene as well. well again, what, what was that first experience? My first dive into the competitive scene in general, hmm, I want to say it is FGC, but that wasn't until I was about 18 or 19. Uh, I used to play, you know, I used to bring, you know, my Mugen build to, to the library on 46 and Lex, hang out with my friends there, and we just, we just freaking go, you know, just swing at each other. But as far as, like, the hardcore competitive scene, as far as, like, FGC is concerned, my first big tournament was the New York qualifier for the Street Fighter 25th anniversary 
um, tournament series back in 2012. What did you think of the scene when you first uh, encountered it? Y'all wild as hell. <laughs> up until I had joined I had joined the FGC proper I had always been you know on the casual competitive side where I wasn't entering events but I was like I was taking like I was I was taking playing my friends and other people like semi-seriously so coming into coming into you know Street Fighter 25th anniversary you know K Brad's there, Justin Wong is there, a bunch of the big names are there. And then, you know, I'm just doing whatever I can to survive. <laughs> I ended Where up going one. <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry? What were you going to say? I said, uh, you mentioned uh, K Brad, Jay Wong. Were you aware that these were the big names in the scene before you decided to join this yes. tournament? The oh, you were? Okay. Yeah, I was aware. I was aware of the big names. I was uh, I was familiar with a handful of the big names on, uh, especially like around the country in the East Coast. Especially considering that I was part. I was an old Chinatown Fair regular. Old so Chinatown Fair regular. What games did you mainly play in there? Uh, I mainly played Dance Dance Revolution Extreme and uh, in the group too. I was I was I was big into rhythm gaming in my late teens and early twenties. Um. You know, in this show, and you're well aware of this, we talk a lot about Chinatown Fair. And um, were you there before it closed down and it turned into that family fun center that it became? Yes, I was there. Uh, I had been around since 2006. Uh, I was part of the DDR club in high school, and we used to take occasional field trips down to Old Chinatown Fair. But uh, after I graduated and, you know, and I started, you know, going to college, I would go every Friday whenever I could and play ITG. And it was actually there that I saw the Gambit glitch for MVC2 because I watched uh, I watched Chris G pull it off. He was just like, hey, here, watch, here, come watch this. He does the glitch, walks away, and we're just sitting there dying laughing because it's just the dumbest thing ever. <laughs> and I'm so glad you uh, mentioned that about being inside the, the dancing game club. Take us through a little bit of the that scene in a Chinatown fair or that scene in general, because we obviously hear so much about the FGC and it's like, it was such a cramped little space inside Chinatown fair. And you Ooh. know, the dancing, the machine, the dancing machines had their space, the fighting games dominated the place, but to, you know, talk to us about that scene. What was it like, you know, take us into so, it. So the funny thing about that is, is that from my experience, the back then the rhythm game community and the fighting game community had a bit of overlap you had people that played a little bit of both and the funny part is is that the the dance machines were on one wall so if you're walking down the if you're walking down the passage towards the very back on your right it's all the rhythm game machines so you had you had ddr extreme and then you had in the groove to its left and then directly behind them across, you know, across the passageway, you had all the fighting games lined up. So you had Marvel, you had CBS2, you had all that other stuff. And then at one point, you had that one funny boxing game, you know, that, that one test your might thing where it's like, you know, it drops down the punching bag and you just hit it as hard as you can. <laughs> we always talk about 
And again, this is a topic. This is something we've talked about so many, many times with so many people in here. Uh, you know, the clickish feeling CTF had. Did the dancing community, did, were there clicks in there just like the FGC had clicks? Or what was your experience with that? Or did you just go about your day as, you know, not paying it any attention? I, I was kind of like the independent type. I mean, I had friends, like I, I was acquainted with people in both communities, but I could see the clickish vibes. In, in both circles and it's not something that personally affected me because i was just you know i was kind of like the social butterfly surprisingly enough where it's just like you know i knew people i was cool with people but i wasn't too invested socially in most of the people there because you know uh, again most of them are acquaintances so you know so it's just like i knew people enough where i could have conversation but i wasn't invested enough where the click the clicky vibes got to me so it's like, I'm there to play games. I'm there to chill. If I vibe with people, I vibe with people. If I don't, then it is what it is. When uh, old CTF uh, shut down, were you so far removed from it or were you still going there on a regular basis that you felt some sadness to it? By the time old CF had closed down, I was actually in Virginia. Had a, had a rough, uh, had a rough uh, patch in my life personally. Had to move to... Uh, to Virginia to, you know, get my life together. But I found out after I had moved over there about CTF's closure. And, and it was a little saddening because we knew, like, you know, they, they, they told us months in advance that, you know, it was eventually happening. So I was still in New York when, when they had made the announcement, but I was, over, I was already out of town by the time that it actually closed. And then I found out, oh, hey, it's reopening. It's like, yay. And, and, and then I see the neon paint on the inside and I'm just like, what the hell have you done with this place? And then when I came back to New York a year later, I, you know, paid the paid the place a visit just to see what it was like, and it literally looked like a great value Dave and Buster's. <laughs> yes, it was a Walmart store. It was a Walmart store brand Dave and Buster's. You know uh, that is true. You know you couldn't have put it any better, but. In uh, some of the documentaries we've talked about on this show, the dancing community was still there. Were you able to hook up with any of those people again, or did you just let it go? It's like, you know what, I'm moving on with my life. I, I just let it go. Like, I, I have met so many people in, in my travels, in, in my day-to-day, -day, that trying to keep up with absolutely everybody that I meet would just be overwhelming and just not feasible at all. Just, I, that's how many people I've met. I've, I've literally met hundreds, if not low-key, at least over a thousand people in the last 10 years alone. Just, I, 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 I have a lot of circles. I, I mingle with a lot of people. Like, you know, I, I have my fingers in many social pies and, and, and a lot of it tends to have overlap too. So okay. it's just, so it's just like, you know, I have, I have people, you know, in the comic friends, you know, who like comic books, I have people who like fighting games, I have people who like rhythm games, I have people who like horror games. And then, you know, and then I, I'm kind of like the link, you know, I'm like the bridge to everything, but then I know people who also act as that bridge for multiple circles to where I've actually on several occasions, I've met people for the first time. And then they'll be hanging out with somebody that I know. And then I'll be like, hey, person. And then the new person's looking at me like, how the fuck do you know this guy? And, 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 and then I regale them with tells of how I met that person. I was like I've the Facebook algorithm. It's like the Facebook Basically. algorithm. Hey, you might be mutual friends. 
basically people you may know. <laughs> well, you know, you say you got your life back together. You pay the you paid the place uh, visit. Uh, right afterwards, did you jump right into the uh, offline FGC events like Big E stuff or even local stuff during the big boom? So believe it or not, I actually did not start traveling out to events until 2018. Winter Brawl 2018 was my very first event. I had taken part in online events and, and I've taken part in stuff like Next Level. Um, I had actually helped facilitate... Um, I had actually facilitated Skullgirls Locals back in 2014, back when Next Level was at their old locale on, I forget where it was. So I think it was off the N train. Yes. They weren't they, they weren't where they are now though. I think it was Eighth Ave on the N train. Yeah, it was off of the off of the freeway or something like that, like in the yeah. very very deep part of town in some place in Brooklyn. Yeah. It was a pain, right, it was right, a pain yeah. in the ass to get to though. Yeah. It was it was it was in the deep end of Brooklyn. You had to you had to take the N train to get there, like N train specifically. And back then, I was like I was heavy into like supporting Skullgirls. I was heavy into like supporting the scene. Did a couple of exhibitions. You know, I wasn't by any means a top player. I was intermediate at best, but I was one of those players that was crazy enough to take you know good players on. Like I was I was I was hungry at the time. Is this and, a um, you know, you mentioned something. Uh, you were an intermediate player, your own words. So you knew what you were getting yourself into. You knew the yes. top players and everything like that, and you were perfectly fine with that. Was there yeah. a point where you realized maybe I would rather do more organizing, more bracket running, helping behind the scenes than actually continue on, try to continue on a competitive career? Uh, yes, actually. Uh, that came to me in 2019, came to me in 2019. By then I was like, I was like, you know, competing low key in Street Fighter V in Dragon Ball, you know, not the best career records, just like on average, you know, I broke even if, if that, um, but my one driving force for Dragon Ball was my partner at the time. Her name was Gethsemane and she has almost no gaming experience whatsoever. She watched Dragon Ball growing up. She watched me play. She was super interested. And she used to watch streams. She used to watch, um, what's it? The, the Majin Obama and Juna streams at the Red Bull Gaming Sphere out in Tokyo. She used to watch that. She used to watch other streams. Like she was so invested to the point where she was low key my coach. And you know, because because she would she would spot flaws in my in, in my game plan. She's like, hey, you gotta you, you gotta not do this. You gotta do this. And you know, coming from someone who has no gaming experience, but you know, who s stood there and had the analytical prowess to pick apart you know common strategies and common follow ups is like you know I I valued that. I treasured that. So when we ultimately broke up, I had to, I sat there and I thought about you know if I wanted to continue competing. Not because of, not not because of you know my failings or not necessarily my failings, but my shortcomings as a player, but more or less as was I doing this? Was I was I was I you know sticking to competition for myself or was I sticking to competition to make her happy? So while I tried figuring that out, I focused more on organizing and. Um, less competing. I, I took a competitive hiatus. Like I'll, I'd play casuals with people, 
But aside from that, like I wasn't like really entering anything. Did you ever figure out why you did it? Yeah, I, I figured out what I what what I did, uh, why I did it, and part of it was to make her happy, and part of it was because I I, I enjoy the thrill of competition. The thing is, is that I tend to be very hard on myself, and that's just still something I'm working on. Um, you know, I I come from a perfectionist backing where I was expected to be nothing less than the best. And, you know, when you're told, you know, as a kid, you know, you're young, when, when, you know, when you're a kid and, you know, they tell you that, you know, you're gifted, you're talented, and, you know, they gas you up and then, you know, they put all these expectations on you. It really fucks you up as you get older. Once you get to the real you, world? Yeah, once you get to the real world and then you realize that nothing is as easy as other people made it. Well, you decided to now become a organizer or help in the backgrounds, however you want to say it. You said for Skullgirls mainly or anything that you're able to get your hands on. You know, what's that leap like? You know, a lot of people have done it in the community. A lot of people don't stick around because they realize, quite frankly, let's be honest, it's a thankless job. You know? Um, you are not wrong. <laughs> I mean, you, you take you take us through that. Like, what... Like, what's it like deciding I'm going to put the stick down and this is what I want to concentrate on. I want to make the community better. Like, what are some hurdles and what are some of the things that make you proud about doing that? So, so, so 2014 was when I got to facilitate um, getting Skullgirls uh, Skull local into, into next level. I talked to Diano. I talked to Team Stickbug. And, you know, I got the ball rolling because... I back then I was very passionate about Skullgirls. I was very passionate about the community. I I loved a lot of the people there. I still talk to a couple of the people there, and that was so. Twenty fourteen was just a, was just a taste of you know what an organizer was like. I didn't I didn't dive headfirst into organizing until I started traveling to events. Like when I went to twenty eighteen, my very first major. Um. Winter Brawl, um, a lot of Biggie's volunteers just up and disappeared. And he was very shorthanded. And I was like, you know what? I'm only competing in a couple of things. I think I was competing in like Street Fighter V, maybe. I forget. But I knew I was there to have a good time. And if having a good time meant, you know, helping out, helping out the event, then I was like, all right, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to run around. I am not the kind of person that enjoys sitting still. I like being stimulated, I like being occupied. And if and and walking around, you know, update, you know, updating brackets, making sure that everybody's in and out in a certain time, that's what does it for me. Like y'all give us two hour blocks. I have my blocks done in like an hour and change at most. I am <laughs> very I am I am very efficient when it comes to running my brackets and I'm very, and I'm very no nonsense when it comes to punctuality. I will not hesitate to DQ someone if you are late, if you have not communicated with me. That reminds me of the one time when Phil out of VSM asked me to help run an MK tournament. And he's like, I need you to help me run. And I was like, why is that? He's like, because I know you're the only one who's not going to take BS besides my brother. And I disqualified quite a top, you know, a few top players because it's like, hey, guys, I'm here on my time. You know, you're here to compete. Let's do ourselves a favor. Let's act like professionals. You know, I know, you know, we're all here just goofing around at the end of the day, but give me a break. You know, it's funny. Players really hate it when somebody takes their thing very serious. It's like, 
you know, I'm trying to run an efficient, you know, an, an efficient thing here. It's like, why are you getting on my case? And I'm sure you've, you've, you've dealt with that a lot, right? Oh, boy. Yes. <laughs> I had a taste of that. I had a taste of that at Combo Breaker, at my first Combo Breaker, same year, 2018. Um, running a couple brackets. Um, I had one player that was in two different brackets. They were overlapping, but said player did not communicate with me. That player also happened to be a top player. And the their opponent was there. Top player wasn't. One of the main rules that top combo breaker instills upon their volunteer bracket judges is the no top tier privilege and the no friends of yours privilege. If they're late, they're late. If you have to DQ them, DQ them. And people, I think what people don't understand and take for granted is the fact that, you know, some people might let you slide. But you're eventually going to find that one TO or that one bracket judge that is not going to accept, is not going to accept people being late without any form of prior communication. And then you're going to get mad because you got sent to loser's bracket in a game that you normally do well in. All you had to do was communicate or just show up on time. Uh, you mentioned and combo breaker. Um, did you go there knowing that you were going to help organize, or was that one of those bucket list items in the FGC for you at the time? Oh no, I went. I went with the full intent of helping out with brackets. I spent a good chunk of time volunteering that weekend. Same thing with 2019. 2019, I only competed in one tournament, and that was the mystery game tournament. And if I wasn't running a bracket, I was probably playing mystery. And funny so, enough about that, go ahead. Um, you have mentioned Winter Brawl was the first uh, tournament where you basically decided, let me go and help out because somebody random, these people randomly disappeared. You run the combo breaker. In between the time, I mean, Winter Brawl is obviously in um, in January. Combo breaker, I believe, was held in the summer months, was May. it? It's in all right, so, uh, more, so, more of the weekend. All right, so between January and May, were you getting any sort of reputation as retro station is a guy that I want to be running brackets, you know, or again, were you still working on getting that reputation? Oh no, I, I was building, I was already building the reputation as the kind of person that you want running your brackets because oddly enough, it was at winter brawl where I met Rodney and the team. And that was actually the major where I got my start <clears throat> as KP. Because uh, back in September of the prior year, someone who's no longer with us was someone that I was fairly, not necessarily close with, but I was in a good enough relationship with them where I could ask them, hey, do you think you could put in a word with me at KPB? You know, I want to sign up as a player. My original intent of KPB was to enter as a player because that was, ba that was back when I, I still wanted to compete and I wasn't, I wasn't, aware of the fact that you can do more than just be a player if you're on a team. And it was after joining KPB where I realized, hey, I may not be the best player at the games that I like to play, but I am a damn good bracket judge and a damn good, you know, broad, you know, broadcast engineer in the making. Because I have to ask, what drew you exactly to KPB? I mean, 2018, there's still, it wasn't the amount of teams from the boom where, you know, they dwindled down. I mean, there's still a good amount, but again, what, what drew you to this team? Uh, there were actually a couple of teams that I was scouting at the time. 
Um, I, I was scouting a couple of other teams, and I was interested in this team because I, I like the vibe. I like the wholesome vibe. I like that, you know, in the conversation that Rodney and I had when we first met, you know, he wanted to basically bet me, you know. He, he, you know, he trusted, at the time he trusted, you know, other person's recommendation, but he wanted to make sure that my intentions and my objectives for wanting to be on the team were something that would be a good fit for KPB. And we had a very long conversation that Sunday around the time KOF 14 uh, top eight was going around. And he and I, you know, had a little dialogue and during the course of the dialogue, we came to realize that, yeah, we were on the same boat where, you know, we wanted to basically strengthen the community and, you know, try to minimize, try to minimize the drama and the bullshit that goes on. Not necessarily drama, but a lot of the problematic behavior that goes unchecked that people just take as the norm when it's not okay. You Is know? that controllable though? Um, or is, it, or is it just an or is it just an inherent thing with uh with this community? And by the way, it's not just the FGC. I mean, if anybody follows any kind of gaming community, this is not the only toxic community. But it's just this yeah. is the ones we happen to be in. Yeah, and the thing is, the the FGC the FGC is a microcosm of society in general. So to a point, it can be controlled within the spaces that we govern. So if we're if we're hosting events. We have a say as to what is okay and what is not okay. And at the events that we run, it is our responsibility to ensure that everybody is comfortable, that everybody is safe, that nothing, not necessarily ratchet, but nothing unseemly is happening. But the thing is, is, you know, we, we, we tend to, we tend to dogpile on victims and we give them cause to not want to come out in the first place. And then a lot of this stuff, you know, gets swept under the rug because, again, top player privilege. And then when it finally blows up, it's just like, oh, why is this happening? Why is this blowing up? It's because we've left stuff unaddressed for so long that it just festers. And then when it finally blows up, people are just sitting there like deer in headlights when a lot of this stuff could have been prevented if we had stemmed the problematic behavior from the get-go. Is this something that can be fixed? Or is it just something that's going to go on for as it, long as it, as it, it will? It, it, can be fi- it can be fixed. The thing is, is that everybody needs to be in agreement. Everybody needs to be on the same page as far as what we're trying to establish. You know, you being a part of the team organizer, obviously, you know, I recently joined the team again in this capacity. It's been a long time since I've gone out to an FGC event. I mean, I was there during like the boom, as, as I like to call it, you know, mainly MK9 and Justice, Street Fighter 4. And, you know, stuff like that wasn't, wasn't anything that was secretive. But it, like you said, it, it has to be controlled. It's hard to do so because you have so many people giving opinions and nobody seems to want to play, you know, head chief on anything. But um, what, what do you think would be the first step into trying to, you know, just tr- trying to fix whatever problems, you know, the main problem that you would think is the main problem? Like, what, what would be the first step in your opinion? The first step, the first step to like solving any of this is having is having TOs be on the same page. Like, because if we're not unified, if we're not unified in our vision to like stem problematic behavior, 
then our efforts are going to be mostly in vain. And what I mean by being unified is, you know, you know this as well as I do. You've been around the FTC likely longer than I have. There's it's a lot of politics. There's a lot of backdoor stuff. There's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of intern. There's a lot of like behind the scenes beef with like TOs across regions and even within our own regions. So the first step would be to like basically squash that beef, be like, hey, you know, we may not, we may not see eye to eye on things, but at the same time, we're operating in the same community. We're operating in the same community, you know, and if we want this community to be better, then we have to stick together. Like sometimes people just have to swallow their pride, swallow their egos, get their shit together and be like, hey, this is how we can make the community better. Let's work together. You know, as a team, KPB in the background has a lot of, you know, a good reputation. And it's one of the, the you know, one of the local teams in the area that gets a lot, you know, a lot of people say, you know, if uh, you guys want the job to get done, you want to go to those guys. Do you feel that maybe sometimes there are other teams out there that envy you guys for that? Because you guys are such um, such professionals when it comes to, uh, you know, offline events? Um, If there are, I'm not too concerned with them. Because as long as they are not directly interfering with what we're trying to do, because we don't just do FGC. Lately, we've been doing, you know, lately, uh, we've been doing Compete Forever. We've been doing the Madden events. We've been doing, you know, a couple of other events here and there. You know, FGC might be our bread and butter, but this is not our only, like, this is not, this is not, we're, we're not one trick ponies. We're not just FGC. You know, we also do a little bit of the sports side. But yes, you guys do again, the Madden stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, and so if people, if people envy us for what we do, then they need to look within themselves and be like, hey, why do I feel this way? Is it because I don't feel confident in my production value? And if I don't feel confident in my production value, then how do I improve my production value so I can, so I can stack up to what, you know, what KPB has to offer? Instead of seeing us as competition, they, if anything, they should see us as inspiration because yeah. we do what we can. We're, we're a very small team. We're, we're a very small team. Let, let's face it. Not Some of these other teams are like <laughs> fucking deep as hell. You know, I've talked to Afro, Mike. I talked to Ronnie. I talked to Steve. I talked to some of the other guys. I'm going to ask you, does it personally bother you that some people, you know, feel that way towards, towards you guys? Like I said, that's a them problem. Their feelings are not my responsibility. I'm going to do what I do. I'm going to be the TO that I am. And if you don't like how I run my ship, run it better. <laughs> you couldn't have said it any better, my friend. You really couldn't have said it any better. <laughs> What's the card scene like? You know, uh, obviously everything started with Super, uh, Super, Mario, Super Mario Kart. I'm sure there were other card games before that. I'm sure I'm just not remembering them well. And it's grown to what it is right now. You mainly do uh, Sonic Kart, I believe the game is called. Yeah, uh, the full name is Sonic Robo Blast Two Kart. We shorten it to SRB Two Kart because saying the full name is just a mouthful. But yeah, it. Um, but you know, Kart comes into a long line of you know kart racers, like you know Nicktoons Kart Racers, CTR, yes. the the modern CTR remake, Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing. Sonic and All-Stars Racing Transform, Team Sonic Racing. Like, there are a handful of kart racers, and each of them brings a little something different to the table. Uh, SRB2 Kart is unique in the sense that it is a racing mod to a 3D platformer. 
known as Sonic Robo Blast 2, SRB2. And SRB2 is a mod built on the old Doom engine. So SRB2 card is basically a Doom Racer. When you told me that, when I first saw that, I'm like, what? Wow, I mean, th this engine sure has come a long way. I, th that thing was pretty impressive when I was watching you play that. It's like, well, this is on yeah. the old Doom engine? Wow. Yeah, it's on the old Doom engine, and for better or for worse, it is a game. <laughs> I, I actually discovered the game about two years ago. I was watching a random Lythero stream, and he was just playing some random racing game. And I sat there and watched, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then I kept watching. And then I kept watching, and then I'm like, you know what? I want to play this game. I picked it up, joined some random server, and got my ass beat for the next month. And by that, and by that, and by that, I mean, I always came in last. I always exploded because last place <laughs> in that game explodes. So it's like, yeah. oh, it's just like, oh, eight people are playing, seventh place just crossed the finish line. Eighth place goal. <laughs> We're talking about old brutality, Mortal Kombat style. Boom, booms all over the place. <laughs> basically, basically. What, and what's so, the cart? What's the cart scene like? The competitive cart scene. Competitive cart scene. Whew, that's a very interesting one. So, there are a lot of there are a lot of sub communities within the cart community that occasionally do competitive events and. The competitive events vary in scope. Some of them are basically speedrunner type events where it's just like where, you know, you basically submit your best times and, you know, and everything is, you know, judged accordingly. And then you have other events that put out the PvP stuff where, you know, you race in large groups and then, you know, scores are tallied according to how you perform. Um, last year, I hosted a couple of events called Friend Mod Races. And what friend mod racing is, it basically puts you on, it, it basically, it's basically team racing where it's, you know, one team against the other. And then, um, the friend mod, um, the friend mod, um, modification, the gameplay mod would then tally scores depending on your position relative to the race. So you would get two points for every person, for every opposing player that you were in front of. And if you were in first place, you got an additional point, and this is how you would break ties most of the time. But the first place only getting one point was basically to prevent first place from carrying the rest of the team. Everybody else had to, has to pull their weight, has to basically place well if you want to get good scoring. What's the difference between organizing a cart competitive tournament and an FGC one? Um... Well, bracket formats are a bit different depending on how you approach them. Um, FGC stuff typically fares in double elimination where cart can be a bit more flexible and you can do stuff like round robins, you can do stuff like Swiss format, or you can do a mixed format tournament like I did and you can have it done you know, across different days where one day is the Swiss format and then whatever the results of the Swiss format are, that's the seating for the double elimination bracket the following day and i did that mixed format um based off of the ctr competitive community because they, they they have a thriving competitive community where their scale is international actually um so when i started you know brainstorming you know rule sets and regulations for the stuff that i was hosting 
I actually borrowed a lot from their competitive rule set for their World Cup, and I tailored it to, you know, to suit the needs of the event that I was trying to run. So my friend mod events are typically Swiss, Swiss bracket the first day, double elimination the second day. And for me, this ensures that people get as much playtime as possible because nobody likes going 0-2 in a tournament. No one likes feeling like they wasted their money entering a tournament just to get bopped and they only got to play like two matches out of it. What are offline kart events like? Um, I'm, I'm sure the biggest one are the Mario Kart series games, right? Or if you could correct yeah. me on that. Mar yeah, Mario, Mario, Mario Kart would be the one, would be the one to have that spotlight in terms of like actual, like mainstream competitive kart racing. Um, Sonic Kart is still relatively niche. I mean, the community has been growing, especially over the last two years, but the mechanics are a lot different than your average kart racer because a lot of what dictates optimal racing lines for kart compared to other other racers is straight momentum it, it it's literally it's it's basically taking sonic it's basically taking sonic mechanics and just throwing them into a kart racer so momentum is important um physics are very wacky sometimes because it is the doom engine it's a tw it's a almost 30 year old engine you're you're gonna spot a lot of jank in any sort of mod, especially a racing mod. If it wasn't I've, for I've, if it wasn't for COVID or even before COVID, have you ever attended an offline kart event? Um, no, I have not. Um, I just started casually playing kart in 2019, and then I just as I slowly got better, I got you know I started you know checking out the competitive events and stuff, and they weren't too bad. Not really my speed as far as like, you know, competition wise, um, at least not yet, because I'm not at that level. I've been playing for two years, but my lines could be a lot better. I've seen people that blow me out of the water by at least five seconds. And I'm just like, I just end up salty. I just end up salty. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be real. I'm just like, God damn it. Why are you winning so much? Stop winning. Stop being so good. But that's, that's, part, that's, that's part of the fun, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's part of the fun. And what makes it fun is having people, you know, play, having people, you know, at least come try it out. Um, I've gotten friends into it. I've gotten acquaintances into it. And, you know, I, I, I have a small group that I play with every week. And, you know, shout outs to Munoz, shout outs to, you know, the the the, the Scyther stream server. Because we pull up, we, we stream at least like almost every Monday whenever Munoz is available. And we play for like three to five hours, depending on how long he wants to go. And... <laughs> All of our races are violent. All of them are violent. We are we are we are smacking each other left and right. We are cursing at each other <laughs> when, 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 when when we get bodied. And you know, there are some times where I literally I literally slap people off the map. It's just like, oh, you're driving here. Have fun. Are we talking about uh, Mario Party levels of uh, heat? going on yes yes <laughs> yes there, there there have been there have been some races in recent memory that have been so hotly contested you if, if we if we took cart off the screen you you wouldn't know if we were playing cart or if we were playing mario party <laughs> <laughs> what was your least favorite mario party minigame of any mario party game Least favorite? I don't think I had any least favorites. I feel like I was fairly okay in all of them. 
especially like the Super Mario Party ones, I was confident that I was very decent at a lot of them, except maybe raising stakes. But that's because I can't flip stake worth of shit. Dude, <laughs> is there a Mario that, Party competitive scene? I mean, I mean, if there isn't, I mean, if there isn't, there could be. I mean, if if we if you built if you built a competitive scene off the mini games alone and just eliminated the RNG factor of like the main board game section, I'm pretty sure you can get some sort of competitive scene going. I mean, <laughs> awesome. we, we I, honestly, the, a lot of a lot of a lot of competitive multiplayer games have you know like competitive scenes. They may not be as big as the FGC, but they exist. Of there's course. a competitive scene. There's a competitive scene for Kirby Air Ride. I'm pretty sure there's a competitive scene for like Custom Robo. Like anything that has a PvP aspect, rest assured, somewhere out there, there is a competitive scene. And all it needs is a solid opportunity to just blow up. You know, competitive gaming, gaming culture in general. I mean, I'm 37 years old and I've been playing games for quite a long time. And, you know, there was a time where I was really engrossed into it. And then I took some time off because I had a family, had kids and everything like that. I helped out a lot in a lot of, um, lot of tournaments, a lot of offline events, even some Comic-Cons. Mm -hmm. And again, this is something I've always wanted to talk about. And it's the influence of Japanese culture on the gaming community. You know, ever since you were a kid, did you notice uh, how much... Would it would it be actually more pop culture, if anything, or is it more Japanese culture that's infused in you know in the gaming community in general? From your experience, what is it? It's a little bit of both. So the thing is, we we grew up, you know, for people that grew up on gaming, um, a lot of our consoles manufacture, you know, a lot of our consoles, a lot of our games, Japanese studios, Japanese companies, Sega, uh, Sony. Freaking, what was it? Nintendo, Sega, Sony, Nintendo, all Japanese companies. Um, for me, I didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that you know that there was more to it than this than just Japanese companies until Microsoft came out with the Xbox, with the original Xbox. But ever since then, uh, the three major, you know, Sony, Sega, but but back in our heyday, back when when I was growing up, the three big Japanese companies were Sega, Sony, and Nintendo. And to this day, Japanese games, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the studios, a lot of the developers, all Japanese. Let me and ask so you this. I, feel like, I mean, that, that, that's understandable because like you said, uh, you know, a lot of things were coming out of Japan. Those were the big three, obviously during the early nineties, late eighties, Nintendo, Sega Genesis, you know, master system and everything, but could it only be attributed to just those two companies or how about you know, Japanese animation being readily available to us, you know, for, to watching in the 90s. I mean, Toonami comes out, you know, Dragon Ball Z yeah. is the, the hottest thing of all time. And for whatever reason, at least, again, you, you tell me if I'm wrong, I've always felt that, you know, in a weird way, animation, even American animation, for for whatever reason, maybe it embraced the gaming culture in some in some weird way, not not like it's today. Like you watch something like Robot Chicken, and that just embraces everything together. It, could there be a correlation put together between the times of you know sci-fi? Um, what was the the night the night um, block where they just show nothing but a uh, Japanese animation G four oh, for a while midnight, there? It was it was uh, what's it during Toonami's early days? That was Midnight Run. Yes, and that had Gundam Wing, that had Cowboy Bebop, that had all that good stuff, right? 
Yep, Cowboy Bebop, uh, Gundam Wing, uh, Big O at one point, uh-huh. and then some of that stuff. And then, um, and then in liter- and then in later iterations of Toonami, they moved the Midnight Run to the primetime blocks. So instead of you know us having to wait until twelve o'clock, one o'clock in you know in the morning to you know watch anime, we could now watch anime after school. So, you know, we still had our DBZ, we still had our Tenshi Muyo, we still had our Sailor Moon. And and a lot, and I'm pretty sure a lot of people that watched that and people that were like dedicated to to to, to the Japanese animation, you know, grew up and influenced by it, you know, and that was our gateway into everything else that we would then go on to experience. Like Yu Yu Hakusho. Yes. All that Yu Yu Hakusho. Yeah, I mean, like you said, Sailor Moon, uh, Ronin and but but again, what is it about Japanese culture that resonates with the gaming community whole? Like, what what is um, it about this community that just embraces that more than anything else? I think what it is, is the fact that it's a culture that is completely different from our own. Like, you look at, you look at American culture, you look at Japanese culture, two completely different things. Even even on a societal level and on an infrastructural level, it's completely different things. They have a bullet train. We have Amtrak. We have the MTA. Two completely different levels of infrastructure and technology. And, it, you know... You know, you mentioned that. Is it because as kids, you know, maybe we were, we were jealous of their technology? Like you said, bullet train. That's, that's freaking awesome. Okay, we still have the Amtrak, like you said. Hey, it'll, it'll get me to where I want to go, but not as fast. You know, exactly. um, what, like, what, what, what is it about them? What is it about the country? Because, you know, a lot of people say, oh, it's Asian culture. No, it's Japanese culture. That's what everybody loves. I mean, I had some people on here who said their biggest dream is making it out to Japan. You know, not getting married, not, you know, going to see the three Egyptian pyramids. Right? No, it's literally going to Japan. Once they made it to Japan, they know their life is complete. Yeah, and I can get that. And the thing is, is um, a lot of people, a lot of people idolize Japanese culture because they just see the fashion, they see the technology, they see a dedication to tradition. And that's, and, you know, and there's a sense of collectivism in, in, in Japanese culture, as far as I, as far as I can see, as far as I understand, you know, in America, it's all about the individual. It's all about the individualism. And I'm sure you've seen that everywhere you go, where people are more concerned about themselves than they are for their fellow man. It's just like, you see somebody getting the shit beaten out of them. People aren't helping. People are recording it and posting it to social media. Uh-huh. That's the and that and do. that and that and that has become the norm in you know American society and American culture. But you know, but the thing is, is that some people that you know talk about how they dream of going to Japan, about how they want to live in Japan. Um, a lot of them may or may not be aware of the issues inherent in Japanese culture. You know, there's you know there you know Japanese culture is rather insular. They're rather xenophobic. You know, they, you know, oh, a yes. lot of, you know, a lot of people, you know, Japanese people don't really take kindly to foreigners sometimes, you know, they, you know, they call, you know, we're, 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 we're to them, you know, and, 
the thing is, and, and also what, you know, what also doesn't help that is the fact that there are people that go to, you know, Americans that go to Japan as tourists and then they do dumb shit. Like the whole thing with, uh, if I remember correctly, Logan Paul in the suicide forest and him doing his stupid viral video on that. And it's just like, hey, congratulations. You as a representative of American society have made us look like complete and utter assholes. Not that they didn't think we were complete and utter assholes to begin with. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, 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 so the thing is, so the thing is, is like on top of that, you know, um, I'm pretty sure that a handful of people that want to visit Japan or rather, or, 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 or to a greater extent live in Japan also kind of, you know, they, they, they smoke the tree. Guess what? If you live in Japan, you're going to have to give that shit up. <laughs> because from what I remember, and people are free to correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that Japan as a whole does not take kindly to marijuana. As far oh, as I wouldn't. Know. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, I, I think I, 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 I have the memory of a spoon sometimes, but from what I do manage to vaguely remember, I remember reading something about how, like, you, you wouldn't be able to smoke weed in Japan, especially especially if you're trying to live there and you're trying to work there. Yeah, that 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 won't happen. That can't happen. Is it fair to say that a lot of people in the FGC love Japan so much they have this grand vision of it because the fact that their arcade scene has lasted as long as it has? Yes, I I I would not put it past the community to. To, to idolize and lionize Japan because of their arcade culture, because of, you know, because of the things that they have to offer us as a whole as well, as far as, you know, their games, their system, technology in general. I mean, Kawasaki, vehicles, Yamaha, vehicles, Toyota, Nissan, Honda, all Japanese car brands. Like, That's right. And they became I, very I, big here, like in the mid 80s, I believe it is, uh, after all the gas yeah. re regulations here. Yep, Kawasaki. And the thing is, is that some of these brands aren't even exclusive to automotive stuff. Like Yamaha also does musical instruments. Yes. They also they also do musical equipment. Um, what's it? Uh, if I remember correctly, like the main thing, the the sound chip, the sound chip driving the Sega Genesis was a Yamaha branded sound chip. I believe it was. Yes, I I believe it was a Yamaha sound chip. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. Jeez, man. Konami. Konami. Like, Japanese culture and and the effects of, like, Japanese technology are more ingrained into our society than people are aware of. But that doesn't mean that the culture isn't with isn't without its faults. It doesn't mean that it's without its shortcomings. Do you we think can it's appreciate... fair? I'm go sorry. No, go ahead. You can finish that thought. I was going to ask oh, the next one. Yeah. So, so like, I, I think it's perfectly, like, just in general, I think it's perfectly fine to appreciate and want to visit Japan and, you know, appreciate, you know, everything that they've given us growing up. But I also want people to be mindful of the shortcomings of the, you know, of the pro-national, the, the nationalism that comes from Japanese culture, a lot of the xenophobia, a lot of the problematic stuff, a, a lot of the imperialistic agenda uh shout outs to kazuma hashimoto uh 
a Japanese uh, Japanese immigrant that I follow who's they're currently living in Germany, but they post articles all the time about you know like why we should look at Japanese media critically instead of buying into the common narratives of like the whole oh samurai equals you know noble it's just like no they 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 use chivalry as an excuse to bully the lower class do you and, think you know, it's they, i'm sorry do, do, do i think sorry I keep, I keep cutting off i'm so sorry go ahead, <laughs> oh, go ahead. keep going keep going man <laughs> no no that no that that was it that was that was basically my segue into into whatever what it is you wanted to ask me and it's uh i was actually gonna say um do people not want to look at that dark side of, of of japanese culture and the way things are over there because they're afraid of the real world you know it's uh it's uh you know what i'm gonna keep it over here because this makes me happy i don't want to know anything about the real which happens a lot here too as well you know yeah it, it happens a lot it happens a lot even in even within our own culture um perfect example people want to like you know like the whole thing with um uh the the issue with black people where people want to take parts of you know black culture for themselves but don't want to educate themselves on the societal issues that black people deal with on a gen on 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 a daily they don't want to deal with the systemic they don't want to learn about the systemic racism they don't want to um learn about the prison industrial complex or the school to prison pipeline because they're like hey i just want to enjoy the culture i that i, I just want to you know enjoy that at face value like i don't want to like you know, I don't want to, you know, go any further. And I feel like that same approach is taken when it comes to talking about, oh, I want to live in Japan. Oh, I want to learn Japanese so I can live there. And it's just like, and people don't understand. And some people don't understand just how much of a commitment that takes because the Japanese language, the spoken Japanese language can be straightforward enough. But when it comes to being literate and writing, bro, that is over 2,000 Japanese characters you'd have to learn and from oh, what yeah. I remember and, 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 and by Japanese standards I don't think you're considered literate until you until you've memorized and you know can successfully use at least 1300 of that entire alphabet do you think uh, a lot of the FGC's love for the Japanese culture is why they always cheered for the Japanese top players against yes, you know American players absolutely. and why is that absolutely absolutely because because they see because they see um they see the japanese players they see how strong they are and you know because of the link between you know hey japanese game japanese players they be you know it, it, it's kind of like the whole hey you know they're they're the hometown people basically if you think about it they're the home team for lack of a better term they're the home team so we're gonna root for the home team even though you know the, the events are taking place in America. And the thing is, is I can respect the Japanese scene for, you know, for its strength, for its consistency, but I don't think they're infallible. And when people are rooting for some of these players, it's like they put them on a pedestal. It's like, oh, they can do no wrong. They, you know, they, they can't, they can't fuck up, so to speak. Oh, these, these players are godlike. And it's just like, if we spent, if we spent that if we spent that energy that we have spent lionizing the Japanese players, if we spent that energy into developing our own community, which we have, 
I will give our community credit for that. In the last, I want to say in the last three years, we have been getting our shit together. We have been strengthening our scenes to the point where the American players can keep up with the Japanese players. Look at Sonic Fox, this. look at the Kill Sage. Let me, let me ask you this, and this is going to be a somewhat of a hot take. And, you know, first off, um, it's, is it fair to say the majority of big-time competitors in this country, they're really good friends, they respect the Japanese players, correct? Yes, from what I understand, yes. <clears throat> All right, that, 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 that's fine, you know, and not just Japanese, we're talking about, you know, Korean, whoever, you know, any foreign player that comes from that area. The top players here, players, yes. yes, international players specifically there, because I don't know how some international players are thought of here, like when it comes from Latin America and those parts of the world, but we're only mainly speaking to um, Asian. Now, the majority of people who are always, you know, rooting for the Japanese, the Korean, yeah, come over here and kick America's ass, you know, because whatever. It, again, this is going to be a hot take. You tell me if it's if it's right or wrong. Those people are mainly in forums. They're never going to go out to any events. Sure, they'll watch on Twitch, you know, just to uh, put in as many emoticons or whatever the heck those things are called. Is it because, is it because they want to see themselves? Is it because they want to see themselves as, you know, this is how I want to live my life with respect, with honor, or whatever it is over there, whereas they look at some American players, and let's be honest, a lot of them, you know, uh, how, how can I put this nicely? It's um, a lot of them just big mouths, a lot of them, you know, in your face and everything like that. Is it mainly because they don't want to look at themselves that way and they want to be more like, you know, somebody like Daigo, somebody like Tokido? Like, you know what I'm going with that? Again, it's a hot take. No, but... I get it. I, 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 I get what you're saying. You're, you're asking me if the people that cheer on the, uh, the, the, the Japanese or the Korean players to come and kick America's ass because they want to live vicariously through those players because they don't want to associate with the American scene. Um, you're not too yeah, wrong, it's, it's not. It's not because they, um, you know, they sympathize with dropping A-bombs on them so from uh, World War II, but yeah. Yeah, no, but my thing is, and, 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 you know, part of it is that, but at the same time, it's just like, yeah, I, we, we have a lot of loud people in, in the FGC. We have a very we have a very diverse cast of characters in the FGC. Some quiet, some loud, some wholesome, some chaotic. Um, but I feel like I feel like that the 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 ma the massive spectrum of personalities that makes is what makes us who we are as players. Like, you know, yeah, you know, yeah, you know. We're, you know, we're, we're loud, we're in your face, you know, but at the same time, we are being true to ourselves. We are being true to ourselves. We're being true to our ideals where, you know, we're not afraid to, you know, be ourselves in our space because, you know, a lot of us, a lot of us come from, you know, less than ideal environments and we use, and we use gaming as like a reprieve, as a retreat from that. Why can't so, people see that? Good question. You've been but, you've yeah. been organizing. You've seen a lot of things. Uh, you've been uh, you've been in the background long enough. I mean, two years, like you said. I believe you said it was around 2019 when three. you first really started. But no, three years. Three years. Okay, three three years. Yes, because you've obviously you've done it as a competitor as well. But again, everything you just said, 
you know, why, why can't some people just see it that way? Why can't they just embrace that? That's, that's what we are, you know? Yeah. Um, I think it's because, um, again, it's all, it's all about, it's all about the individualism at the end of the day. People aren't really concerned with other people. And that's also that that's also, you know, endemic in the community as well. Like it's not just endemic to the community, but because the community is a microcosm of society as a whole, and because American society values individualism, parts of the FGC also value individualism. And then that's why we have a lot of this tension, a lot of this beef among players, among TOs, even among content, uh, even among like, you know, content creators, like, you know, there's, 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 there's always beef somewhere because someone is always trying to one up the other person is and, it not a, necessarily, and not necessarily sorry, but... in the healthy context either. <laughs> is there a danger to that? Having that mindset that, you know, even though I'm American, you know, all I want to do is just, uh, all I want to do is embrace everything Japanese, at least, uh, you know, I, I, at least in the, um, you know, in the competitive space where maybe you just blind yourself where you're not having fun and you're just being this crazy, I mean, I don't want to call you a national or anything like that, but it's just where you just have this blind hatred or love or whatever it is that you want to call it. Like, is there a danger to that? There is. There is a danger to that because, you know, because uh, if that if that sort of, you know, ideology of that sort of behavior is unchecked, then that can stem into behavior that transcends the community. And then, you know, and then that puts us into a whole other predicament altogether. But yeah, it's just like, you know, we're individuals, you know, we, a lot of us don't come from, you know, the best homes, you know, some of us come from, a lot of us come, a lot of us may come from broken families, you know, we, everybody, everybody, I can guarantee you, everybody that is in the FGC has some sort of shit that they're struggling with in some way, shape or form. And you know, and the FGC and just gaming in general is supposed to be our retreat. It's supposed to be our safe space. It's supposed to be a place where we can commune with people who are interested in the same things that we do. We can sit there, play games, and this is how we bond with people. This is how we forge connections in the community. So when all this bullshit happens where people don't know how to keep their hands to themselves, where, you know, we have to deal with sexual assault incidents you know, in various facets of the community, especially over the last year, it's just like, that's, that's not being a community, especially when we're not doing the best we can for sexual assault victims. Should cosplaying be banned from offline events, especially some cosplayers that they come in and dress up as one of like, you know, some ridiculously scan, scan, scandally clad outfits, especially with everything that's going on. Should that be banned? Um, I don't think it should be banned. I think it's, I do think it should be moderated, especially if it's an event that touts itself as an all ages event. If we're, if we're, if we're going to crack down on the, the Ahigao print on controllers, on consoles, on hoodies and stuff with, you know, the, the, the stupid exaggerated orgasm face that fucking basement dwellers seem to be like obsessed with. So it's like, if we're going to crack down on that, then we need to crack down on like non-consensual displays of what could be perceived sexuality in all ages spaces. If it's, if it's an 18 plus space, I don't give a shit. But if you're at an event, if you're at an event where, you know, it's a public space and it's an all ages space, and that's something that we need to be mindful of. 
because you know there are going to be children present children are impressionable and if we're trying to foster this community to you know thrive in the long term then we got to think about the kids too let me ask you this since you said uh, all ages are 18 and above what are you in favor of especially after the last year and a half of all this stuff that's come out within the community smash brothers you know uh i mean mainly the smash brothers but there's been a lot of other stuff that's come out what are you in favor of as an organizer um, as an organizer i am not opposed to the idea of 18 plus events um however if we if if people do want to do all ages events because let's face it there is some young talent in the community there there is there is talent out there you know, that, you know, are still in like middle school, still in high school that can compete with some of us adults. Perfect example, Sonic Fox. Sonic Fox has been competing for the better half of a decade and they're only like, what, 22, 23? They've been playing since they were like 14, 15. They were beating my ass in Skullgirls back when they were like 14, 15. <laughs> yeah, he's ridiculously talented, that kid, man. They're, they're, a... Yeah, they're, they're, yeah they're, they're ridiculously talented and that's just an example of the young talent that can flourish in the community if we if we nurture it. But if we are going to have all ages events, then we need to be responsible. We need to make sure that the kids are safe. You know, the there F needs to be some sort of there needs to oh, be sorry. some sort of parental there needs to be some sort of parental supervision or some sort of legal guardianship and some sort of legal accountability where we can safeguard these kids, where these kids can play with you know the older players like we used to but you know for for us safety is tantamount safety is the priority that is non-negotiable you know i've talked to mike a little bit and um he's told me about a code of conduct that the community is coming up with and uh, i don't have much of a you know I, I, I don't know what's going on with that he he mainly tells me a few things about it do you think uh if you know anything about it do you think it's going in a good direction do you think the community is embracing it or unfortunately because of you know this day and age where we live uh how we live where especially in this country where everything is just politicized it's like you know um no no this or yes yes that it, it, is there a possibility that that might come to fruition and everybody's gonna adopt that because of everything that has been going on or is there still a big opposition to it where some tos might say you know what I, I'm just going to drop it. Uh, I'm just going to go about how I've been doing things. Everybody just take care of themselves the best you can. Uh, the COC, the FGCOC is a step in the right direction. But in order for anything to come on to fruition, it goes back to what I said earlier about how we all need to be on the same page. We all need to be in, we all need to be in accord with what we aim to accomplish with the FGCOC. Fightcade, like we're already in the step in the right direction. Fightcade 2, Fightcade has adopted the COC. Like if you enter a lobby, one of the rules is you are bound by the COC, you violate the COC, you get banned, that sort of thing. But at the same time, Fightcade isn't exactly the best with their moderation as we've seen on social media in over the last uh, couple of months. Hey, quick but, question. Uh, Fightcade, obviously, like you said, they adopted the COC, but Fightcade obviously is a um, is an online platform. So, how are they enforcing it? Um, I think they're handling it the way any other online platform would. And it's just like you know, like a report function. It's just like, hey, you got any incidences, uh, incidents of bad behavior? Report it. You know, provide receipts. We'll look into it, and then we act accordingly. 
Um, I couldn't say much because I'm not part of the Fight Cave moderation team, so I'm not sure exactly how they operate in terms of their investigative capacity. But I imagine okay. that's how it would go. All right, then. Well, it's uh, 2021. We've gone through a year and a half of all this stuff, and New York, uh, I don't know how, how much they're going to be opening up soon with the whole um, uh, CDC thing saying that soon enough people are going to be walking around without masks. And I believe somebody already mentioned that they're going to start doing offline events. Uh, you yourself, are you looking forward to getting back to offline events? And if so, I mean, like, is that going to be just a big sigh of relief when you're able to do that again? It, it'll be a big sigh of relief when I'm able to safely go out to offline events again. I have been, I have missed offline events. I have not been able to see people in over a year because events are the only way I can connect with a couple of people because, you know, event, events bring, bring in people from around the country, even around the world. And, you know, and these events are opportunities to meet, to connect and to bond with people that I wouldn't be able to hang out with otherwise. Like I wouldn't be able to hang out with, uh, with, with Japanese players without, you know, without one of us flying, you know, to the other country, but you know, events like combo breaker, give us that space where, you know, we can come together, you know, we can share ideas as far as, you know, fighting games are concerned, or just games in general. And then, you know, it's just, it's just like a nice, it's just like a nice gathering. And even though I'm not the biggest fan of like giant groups, I think giant groups are like, you know, just, just socially tiring for me as as an individual but in events i thrive because i'm never bored i'm never bored I've, there's always something to do so it's like oh i don't want to play this game anymore i can go over to you know a, a casual station like you know a couple systems down play another game altogether if not then you know i go hang out in the general area and just shoot the shit with people that i haven't seen in months there's always something to do there's always there's always an opportunity to connect with people and that opportunity to connect with people is what I miss most. You know, you yourself, you're an organizer. Um, you do a lot for the community when you can. And in the last year and a half, you know, we obviously we've seen what's happened to the world, but slowly a lot of, you know, a lot of sports have been able to have, uh, you know, their, their events, like, you know, basketball, football, that stuff in a controlled environment, obviously. Um, the FGC, how come... I mean, from everything, from what, what knowledge you have of it, how come nobody ever bothered trying to do a socially distanced event? You know, you have the event spaces. And from my understanding, because I looked into it myself, a lot of event spaces were open to do business. Obviously, you would have to follow, you know, you, you would have to follow their rules, you know, social distancing and everything like that. With the way FGC, FGC tournaments are set up where you could easily just have one system, somebody sitting here, the other one sitting there, two monitors, two monitors, uh, you know, one to each player, excuse me. They're like, why, why didn't nobody try to do any offline events where you could possibly limit it to maybe 48 competitors? Um, I think it was because the, the general consensus among the community was while the, while the, uh, the event was running rampant, while, while, the, while the pandemic was, you know, was at its peak, it was, it was it, the consensus was it wasn't a good idea to, to throw offline events, even with all the social distancing, even with all like the safety measures you could take. Uh, well, I'm, I'm not talking sure about, know. I'm not talking about, excuse me. I'm not talking about, you know, when it was at its peak, I'm talking about maybe even four months ago when, you know, everything was just a little bit more relaxed. 
where everything was maybe at a 25, 30% capacity. And I think I know where you were going to ask me, but please go ahead. Uh, it well, wasn't so much of a question. It was just more like a confirmation. Ralph, I'm sure you know that the, the you know, there's like the FGC stereotype, not even among the Smash crew, but just the FGC in general, where, you know, hygiene is questionable at best. <laughs> so taking that into consideration, taking that into consideration in conjunction with the pandemic, regardless of whether, you know, standards were relaxed four months ago or not, it's just like, you know, it, it, it's, it's an honor system kind of thing. And, you know, and if you can't trust people to, you know, like wash their hands and, you know, and, you know, take showers and just exercise, just general hygiene, why would you, why would you want to, why would you want to put out an event and then risk being the event where someone got COVID? I think that was the main reason why no one wanted to put an event because you could exercise all the safety. You could, you could exercise all the safe stuff. You can exercise, you can be compliant with all the safety regulations. You can be compliant with everything wash stuff down but you know things still happen of course things still happen you know all, all it takes is for one person to fuck up and for someone else to get covid as a result of that fuck up and then that event that reputation goes straight into the dumpster and nobody you. wanted to risk that could one of the faults to that was is because when we think of e offline events we think of multiple games how about a one? Uh, how about a single game event, or is Street Fighter the only one who could really do that, where you could possibly guarantee forty eight players in a region? I I, I can see that because Street Fighter is basically like one of the like the mainstream games, but there are a handful of games out there that could you know guarantee that could guarantee a, a turnout of forty eight people. Dragon Ball Fighters is one of them. Tekken is one of them. You know, there's there's a handful of games out there, but I don't think it's the issue of meeting player cap. It's just it's just no one wanted to take the risk of being branded as the event where someone got COVID. Now, going forward, where do you see the uh, FGC post-COVID? Uh, FGC post-COVID, um, if, if I'm being real, a lot of us are still going to be wearing our masks. There are people that, that, that got into the habit of wearing masks just so they didn't get sick. Uh, shout out to Light KV on the team. That man always wore a mask to every single event that I saw him at, just so he wouldn't, just so he wouldn't get confunk, just so he wouldn't get the conflict, just so he wouldn't get the conflict. And I've never heard about that guy getting sick in the three years that I have known him. What's the and NYC FGC gonna look like? New York FGC. Um, that's a good question. Um, hopefully NYC Tekken gets back up and running. Next level has, has resumed, uh, operations for the most part. They're starting, you know, they've, they've stopped their RSVPs. They're, they're all walk-ins now. Waypoint Lounge out in the Lower wow. East Side is, uh, is expanding their hours from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. As far as I understand. So things are slowly going back to normal, but, you know, I think people are going to be more mindful of just health and safety moving forward because we, we, we were, we were, we were, we, we as a community were crippled in terms of like, you know, having offline events for over a year. I don't think anyone ever wants to go through that again. No, of course not. We don't want to go. We, I, I think it's fair to say everybody just wants their normal lives to get back because by all means, uh, this is our hobby. This is what we like to do. This is why we get out of the house. 
during weekends. I always joke around that during that time, weekends were at such a premium because everything was happening. You know, offline events for any kind of video game, Comic-Con, and that's been just taken away. And I know some people are, you know, battling battling depression because the FGC is no longer here, at least what, what it was when it comes to offline. You know, playing online is not the same thing to a lot of people because, you know, there, there's something about getting together. I mean, these are your friends. These are your comrades, right? Exactly. It's like there's something about rubbing shoulders, talking shit face to face that you can't replicate online. It's just like I can talk to I can talk to somebody. I can shit talk somebody on Discord and it's not the same as shit talking them to their face. Of like course. there's there, there's there's there, there's that personal aspect that isn't there. And, and, and it's that experience that people want. And on top of that, going back. And then going back to what you said, as far as like offline not being the same, there's also, you know, there's also games where offline is unplayable. Looking at you, Sam Show, <laughs> where, 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 net, where, where, where just the net code is just hot garbage. And that's why everyone has been clamoring for rollback for all of the new games that are coming out. And this is, and this is why, and, and in, in our current climate, this is why people are like, hey, if you're putting out a fighting game and you're giving it, and you're giving it net code and it's not rollback, it's most likely going to be DOA. Because delay-based netcode, delay-based netcode does not work on American infrastructure. You know, and speaking of is, uh, speaking of Samurai Showdown, I know uh, Hibiki was uh, announcing uh, what's his name, Amakusa. But yeah, we, we, we know the netcode in that game is awful, and because of it, it has struggled. That's that's just the way that's just the way it works. You know, this is a big country, and some people don't have access to some of the internet like we have. And like you said, it's, if, if it doesn't have rollback, it's going to be DOA on arrival, at least, you know, to the overall majority who play online. That's why how important it is for KOF 15 to have rollback? It's super important. Uh, SNK has said that they're working on an internal rollback solution. So that makes me cautiously optimistic because it's an internal rollback solution. We don't know if it's going to be good. We don't know if it's going to be bad. Street Fighter V was an internal rollback solution. And that rollback solution is ass. Yes. Let's be real. Let's be real. CFN can be hot garbage sometimes. When it works, when it decides to work, it works. When it doesn't, it is a dumpster fire. But going back to the delay-based netcode not working on American infrastructure, it's not so much about it's not so much about the 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 power of internet. It's just the simple fact of wireless of wireless connectivity being susceptible to packet loss. But the reason delayed-based netcode works in Japan and not in America is because Japan is smaller than California. You are trying to stretch that infrastructure to like what 50, like what 50, 60, 75 times the size of Japan. Yep. That that's that's spreading a very thin net. And that net is going to have holes. That's why delayed-based will never work on American infrastructure. As far as uh, the, with the way American uh, American online infrastructure is now, delay base will never work. Delay base will, will be a forever a dumpster fire. You know what I don't understand, and um, uh, going back into uh, rollback. I mean, uh, what was it a uh, Third Strike Online Edition used GGPO? Last time I checked, I believe GGPO. You know, you, you don't even need to have a license; it's free. What is it about these companies that they just don't utilize GGPO? I remember the big thing back then was, oh, well, it takes up a lot of resources or whatever the heck it was 
Well, you know, Capcom made it work with the third strike on port. I believe Skullgirls uses GGPO, does it not? I believe it does. I believe it uses GGPO. From what I remember, I haven't played in a hot minute, so my memory's fuzzy on that. But GGPO is the common rollback solution. But the thing with the thing with rollback nowadays is a lot of the games require internal rollback solutions because you can't just copy paste ggpo code into a game that uses 3d models that uses 3d assets right. um gg you know uh skull girls third strike everything that's on fightcade those are all sprite based games those aren't 3d model games um you know so ggpo is you know ggpo is appropriate for that sort of situation but for 3d games like kof 15 for strive you know they need to have internal rollback solutions because um, that's that's the only way they're gonna make they're, they're they're gonna make it functional. All right, that's the truth. Now, speaking of KOF fifteen, man, I'm sure we're all happy for DZ having his team back, right? <laughs> he's, he's he's only been clamoring for his team for years now. But no, I I, I am re I I am really happy that the Orochi team is back. Um. I actually, whenever I do like play KOF, I'm actually probably the most casual, one of the most casual KOF players on the team because uh, KPB is primarily, you know, they're, they're they're KOF buffs. A lot of their a oh, lot yes. of their passion, a lot of their passion lies in SNK. But as far as as far as KOF is concerned, I'm more I'm one of the more casual players. Like I've dabbled in 14, I've dabbled in 98, I've dabbled in 2002. Uh, I, I, I am probably one of the only people on the team that would want to play Maximum Impact Regulation A because I was actually one of my favorite Maximum Impacts. It was like, wow. Maximum Impact is busted. <laughs> I mean, 97 was busted. 90, origi uh, original 98 was busted. Original oh, yes. 2002 was busted. 13 was busted. But you can't let me have, uh, you can't let me have Maximum Impact? The fuck out of here. Yeah, you know, oh, we don't want to play um, 2K2UM because the angel glitch is in there. It's like, really, guys? I mean, but it's a better game, but I don't know, man. Some people are like, weird uh, like that. It's the angel glitch. I mean, listen, the KOF brand is jank. No matter what KOF game you play, no matter how polished it is, there is going to be some level of unmitigated bullshit. And if you are going to enjoy the KOF franchise for what it is, that is something that you have to come to terms with. Dude, what was the um what was the series on the handheld uh, Neo Geo Pocket Color? Was it KOF R or something like that? I don't remember. That's actually that's a good question. I, I uh, think two, 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 two. that may have been the only KOF game I played, or maybe it's because nobody played it enough to find a whole bunch of horse crap in there. But yeah, it, it was it was a little bit of a fun game. I'm not gonna lie. It was like a it, it was like a weird version of KOF 99, if I remember correctly. I th I'm pretty yeah, sure it's called was, King of Fighters R. It was King of Fighters R1. And that was for the Neo Geo Pocket Color, right? Yeah, that was for the Neo Geo Pocket. Um, the one you're thinking of for the Pocket Color was um, KOF R2. R2. Hey, speaking yeah. of which, uh, you, you put it in the group uh, the other day. What was it that you bought? It was, it, was that a Game Gear? Oh no, that was a GBA actually, Game Boy Advance. Did it have the new uh, LCD mod that I've been hearing a lot about? Yes, it does. It has the IPS LCD upgrade. I've been learning how to do those for work. 
Um, it's it's really fun. I'm I'm uh, I'm a very um, manually oriented kind of person. So anything where I can like work with my hands, whether it's like building stuff or taking stuff apart, um, it's something that I find myself like uh, I find very enjoyable. So you know when an opportunity came where it's just like, hey, you know we I can you know I can mod GBAs for my job. This is like, hey, I'll, I'll learn. You know it's a fairly straightforward process. You know, I'm, you know, I invested in the equipment that I need to work from home to, you know, do that stuff at home. And it's just the end results are just so satisfying because I've put some of this stuff out for sale at my job. And a couple of the ones that I modded I, and, you know, brought to the store, modded at the store and put out for sale, were gone within the hour because there's been such a, there's been such a demand for retro and handheld stuff over the last year because of the pandemic. You know, what's funny, man, you mentioned that. And uh, like recently, I had a few people at my job help me mod a game gear. I found a game gear at a, at a yard sale and God bless the modding community, man. Some of those hobbyists who take the time to put these these upgrades out, like the game gear LCD upgrades are amazing. You know, like I oh, opted yeah. I, yeah, I opted only for the adaptive backlight from um, RetroKai out in France. So that's good enough for me. I mean, I, I get the fun that people get for uh, seeing these old systems or like in mo like um, current mobile style, like um, um, screens, LCDs, like the Game yeah. Boy ones. Yeah. And again, God bless those people, man. But like some of those eBay prices are insane. It's like a Game yeah. Gear just modded with a, with a LCD screen that people are selling them for $300 and people are buying them, like you said. Yeah. Um, the game gears buy them. The game gears like stock, and you know, with uh, with new capacitors in them, will typically I think they'll sell on average for like one fifty, one seventy five. Yes. And you know, the, and and the LCD and and the reason that the LCD modded ones are so expensive is because the part itself is expensive. Of course. So, yes, of course. Yeah. So so yeah. So anything 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 that's modded, anything you see modded out on the online marketplace takes into account, you know, like that, well parts and labor. But mostly parts, because some of these parts are hella expensive. <laughs> yes, they are. What's it like working at a video game store, especially one of prestige like video games, New York? It's super fun. It's 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 also been very educational for me because I've learned about I've learned a lot about systems that I didn't get to play growing up. Like I've learned a lot about the Dreamcast. I learned a lot about Atari because people come in asking questions about this stuff, and you know, and if I don't know, someone else will, and in the process, I just end up learning, and then. You know, and then I end up passing out. I, I pass on that knowledge to people that may not know. And it's 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 been you know it's retail, so you know, it comes with you know it comes with the trials and tribulations of working retail in general, like people who don't want to put on their mask or wear their mask properly. But you know, you learn you learn so much about you know games, you know these these obscure games that are like extremely valuable, and this is why they're valuable. And, and then you understand like what people gravitate toward in terms of what they want to play. Like, you know, a lot of people play the common stuff and then you'll see people that'll ask for like some of the more niche stuff, some of the stuff that isn't commonly asked for, or sometimes they'll ask you for recommendations and you point them into the direction of a game that, you know, they would have never considered playing otherwise. And they're like, you know what, I'm going to take you up on that recommendation. And then they'll come back to you and they'll be like, Hey, so that recommendation, fuck yeah great game awesome job you know and 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 that and that gives me a good feeling because you know i i i i enjoy a wide variety of games like i, I said before that i gravitate more towards action games 
but I play a little bit of everything, except horror, because fuck horror. <laughs> horror, exactly. horror, horror, just, horror just horrid things to my anxiety, and I want none of it. <laughs> well, you, re- you said uh, with, the, with the pandemic, a lot of retro games have prices have been going up and collecting has been going up. I think it's fair to say that we've moved on from the Atari 2800 era of those collectors. Some of those people, you know, are much, much older. 2600. Yeah, excuse me, 2600. And whatever goofy other systems there were back then, yeah, after, you know, before the video game crash. But yeah, since, since you work at Video Games New York, and that is a pretty big store, I mean, how many collectors do you see coming in always asking, hey, do you happen to have a sealed nes game or hey do you happen to have anything uh sealed for super nintendo is, is uh, that a big I, community for you guys uh a part of uh it, it is it is it is a considerable part of the community but um people aren't really asking for nintendo or super nintendo stuff a lot of the a lot of the more common questions at least from my experience a lot of the common questions are regarding the dreamcast the PS2, the GameCube, Game Boy Advance. Those those are the four that I hear. And N64, sorry, those are the five. Because from my recollection, N64 has consistently been like one of our best-selling consoles. And even more so during the pandemic, to the point where we've actually been sold out of Super Mario 64 and Mario Kart 64 for a very long time. Wow. Because we, we, we used to have a massive stock. But then the pandemic happened, you know, people stayed home, people ended up having to stay home, people wanted stuff to play, and people decided to, you know, revisit their childhoods. So a lot of people bought, you know, N64s, a lot of people bought PS2s, and people consistently would buy Mario Party, Mario Kart, Mario 64, GoldenEye, Star Fox, all the multiplayer stuff. And people, hey, and people and, are... Nintendo, Nintendo had it right all those years ago. Everybody still wanted yep. to sit on their couches and play. I, they saw the future. It wasn't the Simpsons yep. this time. Yep. <laughs> and then you know, and then and then and then, if people aren't asking for N sixty four stuff, they're asking for PS two stuff. More specifically, the WWE stuff. We used of to course. have a lot of wrestling. We used to have a lot of wrestling games in uh in, in, in our showcase. Now we're lucky if we see one or two come in. Because we, <laughs> oh, trust we, me. We, I... I know, man. I'm still holding on to my copy of uh, WWF WrestleMania, I believe it was, and No Mercy, because me and my brother and my friends, man, that that was like the greatest game of all time. Yeah, people ask for No Mercy. We get No Mercy like like maybe maybe like once in a blue moon, and it sells. And it most and most often it sells the same day. Oh yeah, it's wild, man. It's wild. GameCube stuff. A lot of the a lot of the main franchises are hard to find. Like all the Mario stuff, like Mario Sunshine. All the Legend of Zelda stuff, like uh, Twilight Princess, um, the Ocarina of Time and Master Quest collection. And what's the worst the part of uh, what's the worst part of working at a video game store? Is it is it the fact that it's retail and you have to deal with some people who are just uh, you know a bunch of a holes here and then? Oh yeah, that I, honestly I think that's the worst part. It's just it's just it's just the the general retail territory aspect of it. But the reg- and I'm sorry, say again. The retail aspect of it is what what kills me, because you know okay. some people come in. There was I, I'll give you a perfect example. One time uh, I had a phone call last, like within the last week. Um. So 
so you know our 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 our, our business is called our company's our business is called video games new york yes i call someone calls i answer the phone it's like hey you guys sell video games right oh, like, yeah God, you guys are in new york right um yeah like i was i was flabbergasted by the fact that those are the first two questions that came out of that person's mouth when our name is literally video games new york why just why <laughs> what did you do i i just answered my i just answered their questions normally they had asked me if we had a specific game for sale i told them we didn't they're like okay thank you i hung up the phone and i'm just like It's the kind of it's the kind of thing you have to laugh at to maintain your sanity, <laughs> especially especially nowadays with with the way this country is, where everything is just you know everything is either left or right. It's like, can't we just have a civil conversation anymore? Oh, that's freaking great! Yeah. Man. That's a great story. That might actually yeah. be the best thing that, that's ever been said on this show. <laughs> like, hey, hey, do you guys sell video games? Are you guys in New York? It's just like what? <laughs> Listen to yourself. <laughs> I ask you a question, man, about uh, organizing. I mean, you're still a pretty young guy. You, always, I, I've talked to you before. You always like to educate yourself about things. I mean, how much? Like, you can't really tell that. You know, you can't really see into the future, obviously. But how much longer do you think you'll be doing uh, organization for? Um, for the competitive scene um honestly as I, i'll i'll probably do it as long as the community is willing to have me uh, let's be real you know i i mean i i'm 31 but you know i don't see myself leaving anytime soon and you know as long as i'm a part of the team then it's just like hey i'm gonna go to an event what uh, you know if they need the help uh, i'll and if i and if i'm available i'm gonna jump in that's just how it is. That's just how I am. Because I, I, I'm all about getting people in and out. Because the way I see it, the way I see it, you, you're going to be at this event for a weekend. Yes. You're going to be competing. You're going to be competing, most likely. But you're also probably going to want to explore. You're going to want to play casuals. And you're going to want to shoot the shit with people that you haven't seen in a hot-ass minute. So with that in mind, my objective is to get you in and out of your pool as fast as possible. But I can only get people in and out as fast as I can if people are there, if people are ready to play. Like the way the way I set things up, it's like I set two people to play on a setup. I set everybody to set up on their setup, whatever. If I have people left over, it's just like, all right, you guys are on deck here, you guys are on deck there. As soon as they are done with their match, you immediately hop in and you guys start playing. I try to minimize, I try to minimize downtime as much as I can just so people have more time to do the things that they want to do. When everything opens up again, what's the one major you can't wait to step foot in again? Do you still have a bucket list or have you, or has that bucket list, uh, you know, item been crossed off your list? I, I, I haven't really had a bucket list for events. I've been more flexible and like, Hey, I'll go where the wind takes me. If there's an opportunity to go to an event, and I can take that opportunity, I will. But with but as far as events that I'm really looking forward to, I'm looking forward to the next offline combo breaker 
because I have a score to settle with people. <laughs> and guys, you know, look for him at Combo Breaker. Maybe you're one of those people he has a score to settle with, right? I, I mean, I mean, if they're if they're in the mystery tournament, then yeah, I'm gonna have a score to settle. And, and, the, and the reason I say this, and the reason I say this, and you know, story time here. Uh, 2019 Combo Breaker. I ended up. I I entered the mystery tournament just because I wanted to. I didn't really care about anything else. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna play the mystery game. Play a bunch of random games. See how I do. And you know, that was just something to keep me occupied whenever I wasn't running brackets. I was literally running what? brackets the entire weekend. What was the first game? So, um, I forget honestly. Damn. Damn. I got. I, I got to go back and check the vods for that one, but. Context By the for way, people the, who don't the, 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 I'm sorry to cut you off. The majority of mystery games are obscure Dreamcast games, aren't they? Like Project Justice, Psychic Force, Plasma no. Sword. No. Ooh. They they are they are part of the pool, but they are not just Dreamcast. So for people who aren't familiar with what the mystery with the what with what the mystery tournament is and how it's run, every round of the tournament is a completely different game. Doesn't matter if it's winner's round, it's loser's round. Games are different. So if you're in winner's round two, you're not playing the same game as loser's round as that same stage in the bracket. Loser's run has their own separate pool of games to play from. Winner's bracket will have their own separate pool of games to play from. So, and you will not know what you are playing until you sit down. And for the, for the most part, whatever you play in mystery tournament will not be a game that has a currently active community. So you will not see Street Fighter V. You will not see Soul Calibur 6. You will not see KOF 15 whenever it comes out. You will be playing older games, and you may not even be playing them on the optimal system to play them on. Like, you might be playing SVC Chaos for Xbox. This happened in 2019, by the way. Any And and it's not limited to fighting. It's it's not limited to fighting games either, and that's the best part. It's any any game that has a, multi, as a competitive multiplayer aspect to it where it's not a complete time sink is a viable candidate for being in mystery game. I'll give you a perfect example. I'll, I will give you one of the games that I had to play in pools, Ralph, and you'll know this game. Atari's Joust. Oh. <laughs> Joust. I had to play Joust in one of, in, in, as one of my first mystery games. How did that go? I won. 3 out. <laughs> that was awesome. Uh, another, yeah, another another one of another one of the games I had to play early on was um Mighty Morphing Power Rangers, the fighting edition for Super Nintendo. I remember that game. And I hated <laughs> <Yep>. that game. <laughs> I hated that game. I, that was the first time I had ever I had ever set I had ever put my hands on that game and I enjoyed it for what it was because it's mystery yes. tournament. Uh but yeah, I had a solid run. I went undefeated until I hit winners finals. And then I got I lost to Dasset Bro in this stupid boxing game called Cruise Brothers for PS4. To this day, it is the worst game hands down that I have ever played in my entire life. And I'm not just saying that because I lost. I'm, it it's called? called Cruise Brothers. It's called Cruise Brothers. Can't, can't say I ever heard yeah. of that one. Good. Consider yourself fortunate. But yeah. By the way, I'm that not, mystery I'm game not... tournament, that mystery game tournament, it, it fills up, right? Because I believe it's capped. 
Like it yes, fills up it pretty capped, fast. It is capped at a hundred. It, it's capped at one twenty-eight, if I remember correctly. Oh, I, I, I thought it was like only sixty-four players or something. No, no, it's either it's either one twenty-eight or two fifty-six. I forget. It's one of those two caps because of the time it takes. Just because of the time, uh, the amount of time it takes to transition between rounds for games, they don't want to. They don't want to have to do that for like too many setups and too many pulls. But yeah, right. So I lost to Cruz Brothers, and then my game in losers finals was the um, the basketball game from uh, Capcom Sports Stars or Capcom Sports Club. I'm sorry, Capcom uh, Sports I'm Club. I'm trying to figure yeah, out uh, that game. Uh, Capcom Sports Club had three different games you could play. It was basketball, tennis, and soccer, and they had us play the basketball game. And I got fucking destroyed because I can't play sports games worth a damn half the time. And even but NBA Jam. Again, uh, NBA Jam, I don't think I've ever tried. Um, I think the only sports game that I remember playing and enjoying back when I was growing up was Space Jam for PlayStation But yeah, but all in all, I went a lot farther than I expected. I made third, and uh, that's something I definitely want to do again and hopefully take the gold. Like 2020, I was like, I'm going to Combo Breaker. I'm getting the dub. I'm getting that trophy. I'm settling the score with Dastard Bro and anybody else and, and, and up to snuff. And, you know, those are the only two people I lost to. It's like, I'm selling the score with them. I'm getting that dub. 2020 is my year. And then COVID said, <laughs> no. No, not happening, buddy. Have they so, uh, have they announced that they're going to be back for twenty twenty one, or is it an online tournament? Uh, uh, online. They're they're doing they're doing an online thing. Um, at the uh, last weekend of May, they're doing uh, they're doing. I I don't know if they're doing tournaments, but I know they're doing this uh this community thing, this community effort called um Look Alive. And they've contacted a bunch of like different organizers from like across the country who have like who have consistently been doing online events throughout the pandemic okay so there's gonna be like i guess there's gonna be like a showcase like exhibition i'm not entirely sure on the details i have to look into it but they are doing something on their typical combo breaker weekend this year oh that's awesome man i'm sure the community is looking really looking forward to that really 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 big right they're really looking forward to that excuse me <laughs> mumbling my words yeah. jeez well listen man it's uh was a lot of fun talking to you you know it's uh you had a lot of fun stories i enjoyed it i'm sure steve enjoyed it as well and like i always ask everybody man when could everybody reach you where what are your social media outlets uh primarily i am primarily on twitter at kpb retro station um yeah that's pretty much the main way to reach me i i don't stream often enough to you know to plug my twitch so if you guys want to reach me if you guys want to like you know talk shop Feel free to uh, feel free to follow me. Feel free to message me. My DMs are open. Please don't be weird. <laughs> but yeah, like you know, I I I I I'm an, I'm I'm pretty approachable. I I'm I'm pretty friendly. Just you know, just don't be weird. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> and guys, oh, yeah. just to uh, just uh, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely right, man. It's uh, we had a we had a rough year and a half. There were enough weird people in the community. Let's hope they actually came out less weird. And um. <clears throat> Let's just hope we all get back to our normal lives of, of having fun at FGC events or having fun. You know what? I don't even want to call them FGC events. It's more like a weekend hanging out with your friends because that's what because that's what the FGC is really. You know, it, it's uh, we're all there hanging out with friends that this is really how we see them nowadays. 
and there's competition going on. But again, it's it's really more about hanging out with your buddies, right? Exactly. It's more about spending time with the people you care about, spending time with people you wouldn't be able to spend time with otherwise. Exactly. This, yeah. is, this, is, this is this is the thing we love. And, you know, if more people understood that, if more people, you know, embrace that instead of, you know, like being weird and being problematic, then I feel like the community would be better off. And guys, uh, just a heads up again, the um, podcast is going to be available at iHeart iHeart.com, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Twitch uh, TV feed will be coming soon. And then the um, recorded episode is going to be uploaded to YouTube where you can see me and Retro sit down and uh, have this chat that we just did uh, for you guys to enjoy. And uh, Retro, man, thanks again for joining me. I really appreciate it. Looking forward to any future episodes, future episodes with you, man. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. It's been a blast just to, just sharing my stories, man. And it's funny because a couple of these stories, like I haven't really shared with people, so it's it, it's good to just be able to talk about it with somebody, you know. And you know what? That's why I originally started this podcast. It's very easy to sit down and talk frame data, but that bores me. You know, it's uh, it's more let's let's talk let's talk to the individual. And you've been there with, um, you know, you've been there when you see me record it. And I think you've told me, it's like, you know what? This is fun. I, I would rather talk about the people instead of, oh, could that light kick up beat that um, high kick or whatever the heck it is? Because again, to yeah. me, that's boring. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's one thing to explore frame data. It's one, it's one thing to explore, you know, the, you know, a player's competitive history, but it, it's more fulfilling and it's more personal to get to know the individual behind the player as opposed to just focusing on the player as a monolith definitely man definitely and with that guys this has been another fun episode of the podcast uh please go over to the youtube channel kpbfgc uh follow the channel give us a follow at uh twitter as well kick punch block give a follow to the retro uh, you know give, give everybody a follow part of the team you know we do this for you guys and i hope you had a good time retro once again thank you very much guys and have yourself a good evening. That was a lot of fun. This has been a KPB MediaWorks production.